Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Josh Neighbors here, Crystal Ball College Football, part of 365 Sports Network. That is the channel. The Neighborhood Watch is the show. The date, it's August 22nd, 2023. Second shot at recording this. I did it the other day. The audio did not record. Burning questions for the Big 12 season. It's time to set aside all the conference realignment. It's time to look ahead at the season and talk about the burning questions going into the year. Guys, we've got uh, eight days until September begins. We are, let's see, nine days away from the start of Big 12 football. Our goal is 12,000 subscribers on this channel. We're 150 away. We need your all's help. So please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Uh, It would mean a lot to us here if you all could help us reach that goal of ours of 12,000 subscribers. It means a lot to me and the entire team here at Crystal Ball College Football. Follow us on Twitter at NWPod365. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore as well, uh, X slash Twitter. All right, so burning questions for the Big 12 season. I want you all to send me your burning questions. I will answer them later on this week. I want you guys to also um, let me know what you guys think of these. I have five of them, and they begin really the team that's going to be in the conference, but for not much longer, the Texas Longhorns. Will Texas cash in? Um, I'm not going to frame conversations about Texas in the – is Texas back way? Because here's the deal. They're about to leave the Big 12 Conference and go to the SEC. Even if they were not leaving the Big 12 Conference and going to the SEC, even even if they did win the Big 12 this season, what does it mean to be back? You know, to me, being back or whatever you want to you know talk about it like, is a consistent winner, right? Um, Oklahoma, you know, strong program. They were a consistent winner, right? Uh, you know, they're, they're not far enough removed from their losing ways or their winning ways rather to be considered a loser at this point. But like that, to me, that sustained excellence and success is what being a winner looks like. And that's what I think some people equate Texas football with. I know I'm not sure their run of dominance ever was, you know, as great as, as Oklahoma's was. I mean, Oklahoma was, you know, so good for so long in this league, obviously, but we've seen the big 12, you know, a lot of teams go up and then come back down. So even if they were in the big 12 and they cashed in this year, and they were in the Big 12 next year and went eight and four, you know, is Texas really back? They had one really strong year. So I think the big question is, can can Texas cash in? I've used the wrestling analogy. Uh, for those of you who don't know, in, in pro wrestling, the WWE, they have what's called the money in the bank briefcase. And so if you win the money in the bank ladder match against a bunch of other wrestlers, you can use that money in the bank briefcase to uh, cash in a title shot whenever you want to. You know, imagine a UFC fighter has this and after a, five round fight. He's like, all right, I want to cash this in now and fight the guy who just had to go through a five round fight to retain his belt. 
That's the pro wrestling concept. They have that in wrestling, the money in the bank briefcase. And I think last year, in some ways, Kansas State had that. Now, TCU emerged. We'll see who emerges this year. But K-State, like we saw everything was in place for them last year. The big question for a lot of us, a lot of people thought Martinez, Adrian Martinez was the answer. I did not, even heading into the year, was uh, how good could the quarterback play be? Because that was really the only big question it felt like for K-State because they had good linebackers. They had good defensive line. They had a good secondary. They had you know, uh, uh, one of the two best running backs in the conference. Deuce Vaughn is amazing. Bijan Robinson is like a generational talent. But Deuce Vaughn was uh, not even just a running back. He's like the ultimate Swiss Army knife, right? And they had good receivers and they had good return men and good tight ends and H-backs, whatever else you want to use. And Will Howard obviously used all of those things to great effect. Texas has a lot of that this year. And I'll, you know, I think a lot of us have heard, oh, they've had talented rosters before. But this Texas roster, to me, especially in comparison to the rest of the league, is considerably more talented. They are so well built from all the positions. I mean, on the defensive line, they've got guys. Uh, in the linebacking core, they've got guys, including Jalen Ford, who feels like one of the best players, you know, arguably the best defensive player returning back in the league. And there's a lot of questions about who is the best guy this year in the league, but they've got all those guys back and then the secondary, you know, it's got, it's been revamped and retooled and guys like Catalan coming in. They'll see how good they'll be. But I think their defense last year was pretty strong. It generated some pressure, but didn't get a lot of sacks, but still had a strong defense for the most part. And you look back at last season also too, they lose running backs, but I feel like every, you know, most positions are pretty good. Um, and a quarterback like yours or Murphy with how good the group is around them. And I think how decent we think the offensive line should be, then I feel like it's pretty uh, safe to say like, they just need above average quarterback play. And this should be an eight win team, nine win team. And if they get really good quarterback play, they could be a 10 or 11 win team. I think that's not too far out of the conversation, out of the question for this year's Texas Longhorns team. Then you go back to last season and you think about the wins and the losses for Texas football uh, and you think about, okay, how do they lose? When do they lose? And what can we use of that to look ahead to the next season? Well, for them in 2022, they had close losses against Alabama. We all know about the injury in that game. Uh, then Texas Tech game where Quinn Ewers did not play, but still 37-34. That was a game they were up by, I think, two scores at one point, and they could have closed the deal, but they did not in that game. Then you have that loss to Oklahoma State later on in the year. A weird, strange game where Ewers was terrible in the second half, but still a one-score loss that, in the end, that's a game they should have won, right? And also, people say, oh, they should have beaten uh, Texas or Alabama. I don't think they should have. Um, injuries happen in football. That's the way it goes. And they almost had the best player in the country uh, in Bryce Young in their grasps. He escaped. He made a great play, a couple of great plays. Um, he's a number one pick in the draft. So, like, you kind of got beat by an elite player. There's no shame in that at all, but we have to recognize that that's kind of what happened. And sometimes elite players have that, but you could argue, Hey, Texas has the elite guys this year. Then you go to the TCU loss. Okay. 17 to 10. That's the one game where they were outclassed in, right? That was a close game the entire way. The defense was up for it, but the defense has a big bust on a run play with uh, Kendra Miller going long. And then they had a Quentin Johnston wide open in the end zone. Right, they did force that weird fumble thing in the end, but really that was a seventeen to three ball game. But still, it was a close game. Their defense played pretty well, and I mean, all things considered, like if you said, okay, uh, you held TCU to seventeen points in this game, I think we would have probably said going into it that you'd won the game. And then the, I'm not going to count that Washington game at the end of the year. Um, I just don't think it. I don't think it really like 
you know, there's guys sitting out and whatnot. And I actually thought Ewers played pretty well. So when you think about all of those things, think about where the other teams in the league are and where they are. Think about those games that did not go their way. Like, are there wins from last year, when you look at the schedule this year, that will go their way? Think about common opponents. You know, the Alabama game, like, we'll see. I mean, we're not even sure who's playing quarterback for Alabama, but that game is really interesting for a lot of reasons because I don't think we know if Alabama's quarterback play is going to be dependable enough, and we'll see if they're going to need it in that game. But um, if Texas comes ready to play and can put some pressure on Alabama and ask some things to be done at that quarterback spot, watch out. At Baylor, I think, will definitely be a challenging contest. The Oklahoma game, you know, it's always a toss-up, but this Texas group owns a massive victory over OU. Um, you know, I think until proven otherwise, like that Texas feels like a good bet in that game, unless some things go sideways and haywire before then. But this group owns a significant victory over a lot of players from that group. I know there's been some turnover at OU, but a significant victory. Kansas State game, that was a tight contest last year. That one's at home. TCU's going to be on the road. It's a different group, but you're at Amon G. Carter, so that's a challenge. And then there could be a ton of pressure, maybe for both schools, in that Friday, November 24th game between Texas Tech and Texas. So you kind of think about those uh, the games you circle in the calendar of being tight competitive matchups. You know, you worry about them going to a Baylor. You do worry about you know, the Oklahoma game, obviously, at TCU. But this group, because they played so many tight games last year, like, and, you know, the, the which games they'll flip, like, the Alabama game, I think this year they could flip, even though it's on the road, it's a challenge. Uh, and I think the more we hear about that QB competition, the less kind of, uh, you know, the less good you feel about it, right? The Texas Tech game, it's at home, so you feel like you could flip that. But still, Tech's going to be better, so you got to watch that one too. At TCU, you should be the better group this year. That was a great collective last year, but they they did stick it to you some. So there's some challenges, but when you look at the roster differences and you think if this group grows up and matures together – and you feel really good about where Texas is. And so this is their opportunity to cash in. Will they do it? That's the question. If they don't make Arlington, it's a massive, massive disappointment. I think it's a massive disappointment. Second big question. Will K-State, TCU, Oklahoma State, or Baylor ascend in the way that we think they should? When I mean, I mean ascend, here's what I mean. Um, those are four schools that from the last two years – uh, you know, they're also remaining Big 12 schools. I've been in the Big 12 title game. Baylor obviously beats Oklahoma State at the goal line. Oklahoma State had a great year. Uh, you know, and as a wonderful coach in Mike Gundy, we'll see what happens there. Uh, TCU and Kansas State had great years last year. Kansas State obviously stops TCU and ends up winning that game as well. Can those schools begin to, to use a term I just used, cash in once again? Can they parlay is kind of a better word. Can they parlay success from last year to this year? They need to do so. The reason why is this, is that we've talked about it moving forward into the college football playoff era. The Big 12 is going to need more schools to pile on their success, to use the success they've had and spin it forward, to continue to get better and put themselves in situations. That's why adding Utah, I think, is so big because Utah has – is at this place right now where they've won back-to-back Pac-12 titles. They're also in a place right now where they have, you know, beaten Oregon twice on the way to doing it, but lost to, um, to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And then also last year against Penn State, they lost, but they beat USC twice on the way to doing it. So they're winning big games regular season. 
They're putting themselves in these big matchups in the end. They're coming up short. We saw TCU get over the hump late in the year against Michigan, but still they were one and two in the last three, right? So, you know, there is kind of a, uh, you know, uh, four falls of Buffalo, you know, the, the, the documentary on ESPN, but like there kind of almost needs to be like this baptism by fire, this loss. Like you need to keep getting up to that top level. You need to keep putting guys in the NFL, which we'll talk about in a little bit. This kind of pairs together. Um, and, you know, you need to keep reaching those heights and getting there. Baylor and TCU are schools that have had separate coaches come in. Uh, we saw Gary Patterson do it for years. And then we saw Sonny Dykes do it in one year, in year one for him, get, you know, reach massive success and massive heights in one year. In Sonny Dykes' case, in Gary Patterson's case, obviously a career, a distinguished career for him at TCU. Baylor has had tons of success with multiple coaches. And so with that, you feel like, okay, um, you know, that's a school, you know, with where they're, they're located and the resources they have, maybe they can keep parlaying that success. K-State and Oklahoma State have been more of the developmental programs. So can they live at nine games and jump to 10 or 11? That's hard to do, but that's kind of what you're going to have to do, right? Live at eight, nine, and be jumping to 10, 11, 12 more often than not. Can they do that in a new Big 12? Can they set the tone for that? Or will those schools kind of just become more part of the churn uh, like Iowa State became after their uh, visit? Oklahoma kind of almost did it in some way, shape, or form. I know that they've had re more recent success, so we kind of put that off to the side. Uh, Oklahoma State, you know, can Mike Gundy get them back to that level? Will it happen this year? I think there are a lot of questions about these schools being able to be the schools that take the next step because you feel like the coaches they have, Dave Aranda, uh, Chris Kleiman, Sonny Dykes, uh, let's see, I think I got it. Yeah, Mike Gundy, uh, four of the better coaches in the league. The institutions, the, the programs have been good builders in the case of K-State and uh, of Oklahoma State. And then TCU and, and Baylor are schools in the state of Texas that are private schools, but still have done a good job with resources and deploying those resources effectively. So can those programs take that next step? And kind of along with that, can the Big 12 reach the draft heights uh, that they did you know, in the last couple, like last season? If you go back to last year with the NFL draft, and this is really important, you know, we had a conversation back in 2022 about how the NFL draft was not great for the Big 12 and no first round picks. Then you go back to last season and the Big 12 was fourth amongst players drafted uh, at 30. But if you go like players per school, I mean, they're still up there. SEC at 62, Big 10 at 55, ACC 32, Big 10 30, Pac 12 27. The Big 12, uh, Big 12 30. The Big 12 only had 10 schools, right? So the ACC, if you're, you know, 15 or whatever it is for, for football, you know, your 16-member league or 15-member league or 14-member league, I forget what it is, if 14, right? You've got four more schools and you have two more players drafted. Talking about opportunities to do it. The Big 12 was great with that. And then the first round, the Big 12 had six players, the SEC and Big 10 had nine uh, each. And then the ACC had four, Pac-12 with three. The Big 12 had six different schools have a player taken in the first round. Texas Tech did with Tyree Wilson. B. John Robinson from Texas obviously went. Uh, Will McDonald went to the Jets. And then you had uh, L.A. Chargers taking Quentin Johnston. You also down the line had the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Anton Harrison and the Chiefs taking Felix Enodike Uzama. So these Big 12 schools, they need to get back to that. They need to continue that because that is the way that you build. 
is you build these really good conferences. If you can convince kids, you know, top level talent, sure, it's what you want. But the Big 12 programs are more developmental programs. And it comes to top level recruiting in this league. The best recruiting has been done by the, uh, you know, it's been done um, uh, by Oklahoma and Texas. And I think some of these schools have a shot. You know, Colorado might have a really good shot uh, when they come into the league. I think UCS can have a really good shot. We talk about those middle schools. They need to keep producing players and keep churning out guys. They develop really well so they can keep kind of competing. It's There's a gap when it comes to talent. There is a gap when it comes to money. But still, we saw it last year. On occasion, you can breach those, you can bridge those gaps, you know, doing it on a game-to-game basis, right? When the CFP goes to 12 teams and you're going to have to beat a Clemson and then a Michigan and then an Alabama or a Georgia back to back to back to back. That's the big question. Can a Big 12 school do that? And, uh, you know, NFL drafts a big part of that. Putting kids into the league, that is what is going to matter. The new schools, my next burning question. Can the new schools compete right away? You know, it's funny. I think some of the new schools, namely BYU and UCF, are going to have something to say about the Big 12 title race because of games they have in their schedule. And so if you want to say that's competing, that's sure. But competing for a conference title is a whole different thing. It's a whole different ball game for them making the jump from one league to another. And I'm not going to speak too long on this particular question because we're in the midst of doing our new team previews. We only have one left. Houston's only one left. So check all, check out all of these for more comprehensive insight. But there are games on the schedule for all of, all of these schools where they can have an impact. You know, BYU's got Oklahoma late in the season. That that Oklahoma schedule is not very hard. Um, and so they're a serious Big 12 title threat because I think because their schedule, if BYU gets them late in the year and kind of grab that signature win, I mean, that's going to affect the Big 12 title race, it feels like, in a lot of ways, if they're able to do so. Uh, UCF has plenty of opportunities uh, on their schedule littered with chances to make a statement about the Big 12 title race and what happens in it this year. Houston and Cincinnati feel like they're in these weird phases. I mean, they've got games to schedule. They could do things. Uh, Cincinnati gets OU early in the year, but it feels like roster-wise and, and kind of uh, maybe even coaching-wise, they're not ready to make that step. We have to see what's going to happen with those rosters and those coaches. But there are opportunities for them to impact the title race. I don't think they're going to be in the title race. But if one school's there at the end, that's a big-time success. That's a big-time success to me if one of those schools is in the race when November rolls around, I mean, imagine if any of them actually made the championship game. Um, and that leads me to the, the final point. Uh, who is this year's TCU? When I think about this, and I, I was kind of looking at the odds for this, and I went to the FanDuel Sportsbook to do that. You know, what, what needs, what, what really constitutes a school, you know, when you're talking about uh, what makes them a dark horse or whatnot? I think odds, I kind of want anything that's, that's you know, plus 1,000 or more. Uh, that's, that's kind of your long shot section. So when you look, and I'll share my screen with you all, when you look at this year's Big 12 title odds and you look at where we are right now, Texas plus 100, OU plus 420, I think a lot of that's schedule, right? If you had to say who's a better team, K-State or OU, I would say K-State for sure, but the Oklahoma schedule is so easy that feels like they're going to get a maybe a pretty good chance to be there. Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU are the next schools. And then you look down the line, UCF, Oklahoma State, KU, West Virginia, Cincy, Iowa State, BYU, and Houston. Maybe TCU could be this year's TCU if things work out with Chan, uh, Chandler Morris and Kendall Bryles and company. But to me, I look at Baylor. And Texas Tech's right there. I know I said plus 1,000 or more. 
Texas Tech, I actually don't really count in there because they they feel more like this year's Kansas State in the sense of like Texas, it's their time the way it was for Kansas State last year. But Texas has a lot more talent. Texas Tech is trying to build that talent. It feels like they've got the right group. And uh, but cohesion is going to be the big thing for them. It's not just outright talent that is going to win games. Them. They need to be better up front uh, in some games. They need to make sure they keep the quarterback healthy. You know, it doesn't feel like they can just plug and play and still be in a, a Big 12 title hunt. Um, and, you know, K-State was able to plug and play a quarterback and still be in a Big 12 title hunt. And actually, they were able to do some of that in secondary as well, too. And I don't know if Baylor can do that. But I think Baylor is a team that I'm circling because I think Dave Aranda and company have a shot this year to get back to where they were before. I think they do have an opportunity to do that. And I think they do that because, you know, I, I find Dave Aranda to be the most introspective coach in the league. I also think Blake Shapin is going to improve. Big believer that guys get older, they get better. And that's just the way it is sometimes. Like it's, you know, we, I've always used the example of Will Howard, but Will Howard just got better over time. And so that's why even made me pick a TCU candidate, uh, I would do Baylor or I would do Oklahoma State. Because Mike Gundy, you know, I'm not sure the team's going to be great this year, but hey, if they can get Alan Bowman, Alan Bowman slinging that thing around, if they can get this offense where they want and that defense actually ends up playing, you know, uh, playing really well and Brian Nardo ends up being a smash hit, would anybody be shocked if Mike Gundy pulled all the right strings to be able to make this entire transfer project work? Uh, no. It feels like they're, you know, a little bit of a crossroads, but Mike Gundy is still the best coach, in my opinion, in the league. And would anybody be shocked if the best coach in the league or arguably the best coach in the league, however you want to look at it, ended up in the title game? I don't think anybody would. I don't think anybody would be that surprised at all on that fact. So those are my five burning questions. Make sure you all send me your burning questions. I will answer them later on in the week. Let me know if you all agree or disagree. And uh, uh, leave that in the comment section. Like the video. And also find us on X slash Twitter at NWPod365. You guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. All right, friends. See y'all tomorrow.